So last week, we began our series, Great Prayers of the Bible, and we started with Samuel's prayer, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This week's prayer is, Here I am, send me, and it's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. So let's read it together now, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of God's robe filled the temple. Above the Lord were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with God's glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. The word of God for the people of God. And God's people did say, amen. amen. So a few years ago, my friend Elisa was ordained. And a few months after being ordained, she wrote about struggling with this thing she called imposter syndrome. She said, I keep thinking someone is going to hear me tell a bad joke or get Peter and Paul confused and revoke my ordination certificate. It's a real fear, y'all. <laughs> Despite her years of ministry experience, her seminary degree, and her clear calling, she still struggled at times to believe that she was the right person for the job. I remember reading Elisa's words and thinking, yes, that, someone gets it. She had put into words a feeling I'd had for years, but had never been able to describe. I bet every single person in this room knows that feeling, has experienced that feeling that I'm talking about. It's that feeling that sooner or later someone's going to realize that you have no idea what you're doing and expose you for the fraud you are. It's thinking that if you are even a little bit unqualified or unprepared or not an expert on everything, you have no business being here. There's just something about you that isn't good enough or worthy enough or qualified enough, and you're wondering how you've managed to fool everyone else into thinking otherwise. 
Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The Bible is full of stories of people who felt unqualified for or unworthy of the calling that they received from God. And Isaiah is no exception. Today's story is a calling narrative. It's the story of someone hearing God's call, someone like Jeremiah and Moses and Gideon and Ezekiel, these pillars of the faith, these great prophets of God. And like most calling stories begin, it starts with an encounter with God. Isaiah has a vision of God in all God's majesty sitting on a throne. Fearsome beings called seraphim surround God, and they're flying and singing about God's glory, filling the whole earth. Holy, holy, holy. It's an awe-inspiring sight. Unlike anything Isaiah has ever seen before, and his response to the scene is to immediately cry out and declare that he is unworthy to see God and to be in God's presence. I'm unclean, he cries, and you can feel his distress. After this declaration, one of the seraphim takes a coal from the altar and in a symbolic gesture, touches Isaiah's lips with it. And he says, Isaiah has been made clean. And Isaiah can let go of the guilt for whatever it is he thinks makes him unworthy or unclean. As Isaiah stands there, God asks, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And at this point, I like to imagine Isaiah is a little hesitant. He's looking around, kind of like, Okay, anybody else? Anybody? Any tickers? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, wait. And he realizes, oh, that's me. And so he squares his shoulders with a confidence he doesn't quite yet feel, takes a deep breath, and says, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Five words that change the course of Isaiah's life forever. We don't know much about who Isaiah was before this encounter with God. We know that he lived in the 8th century BCE in the southern kingdom of Judah. At this point, Israel had split into two kingdoms. We can speculate that since he spoke to kings and people in power that he had some measure of social standing. But beyond that, Isaiah could be anyone. Which is really beautiful if you think about it because whoever Isaiah is, whatever his qualifications or lack of qualifications, God chooses him to give this fantastic vision this holy calling to be God's prophet. Prophets played an important role in the life of Israel. We hear the word prophet and we might envision someone who's predicting the future, sitting looking at their crystal ball, trying to see, whoa, what's gonna happen next? But while prophets 
spoke to the future, their primary role was to speak into the present, to be God's voice to God's people, to call God's people to return to God. Prophets brought attention to injustice, and they instructed people, especially those in power, to change and to make things right again. At the beginning of this story, Isaiah tells us that he receives his calling in the same year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a great king by all accounts in Israel, but his death marked the end of an era for Judah. What had once been peace was now marked by a fear of being conquered by the Assyrians the big empire of the day. Both Israel and Judah, on top of that, were suffering from a string of corrupt rulers. There was a lot happening. Times were very tense. The people and their leaders had turned away from God and God's law, and economic and social injustice was rampant. Now, we usually stop reading this story at verse 8, at Isaiah's bold, brave declaration of, here I am, send me. We rarely keep reading to see the specifics of God's calling because, honestly, it's a little messy. It isn't pretty at all. God has some harsh words for Judah and its rulers. So harsh that at one point Isaiah interrupts God and says, are you sure? Am I hearing you correctly? Do you mean this? But it's important to remember that God's indictment of the people of Israel and their kings was made on the basis of a covenant that they had had with God from the very beginning. God makes it a clear that the oppression and neglect of the nation's most vulnerable people was a big deal. God's law was intended to protect the vulnerable, and in neglecting God's law, the rulers had allowed injustice and violence to thrive instead of peace. God's message to Isaiah and to the people of Israel sounds harsh, but it's actually hopeful, because God's saying change is possible. Things can be made right. Peace and compassion can have the last word. And here's how to make that happen. Isaiah's calling was hard, but it was important. It was holy. He may not have felt qualified or prepared to carry it out, but we know from the chapters that follow this one that he did it anyway. He was faithful. Now, there's a lot happening in this story today, but there are two things that I want us to really focus on. And if you get nothing else out of this sermon, I hope it's these two things. The first is that whole imposter syndrome thing I mentioned earlier. The reality is, we are always going to feel like there is someone more qualified, someone smarter, someone better for the job than we are. We are always going to have insecurities and feel like we're not good enough. That's just part of being human, especially when there's an element of the unexpected involved. 
But just because we feel those things doesn't mean we have to let them hold us back or even believe that they're true. In fact, when we step out and work through those insecurities, we might realize that we have more to offer than we thought. When it comes to doing the work that God has called you to do, sometimes it's as simple as saying yes and taking the next step forward. Back in 2015, the story dominating the news cycle was the war in Syria. It was horrifying. That war still continues, but back then, it was top of mind. Everyone was talking about it, thinking about it. Whole cities were raised to the ground. People were fleeing the violence in mass. Nobody really knew what to do, how to help. We saw this suffering, and we thought, what can we do about it? A group of people at my former church were watching this story play out and wondering, how can we help in a meaningful and significant way? What can we do when we're all the way over here and there's a war going on over there? I came on to staff a few months after they'd started asking these questions, and around the same time, the church received a very generous donation from a Vietnamese refugee woman who had come to the United States several years ago. And she asked us to use this money to help another refugee family, like someone had helped her all those years ago. It was becoming more and more clear what God was calling us to do. And so we took a step out in faith, reached out to a nonprofit that worked with refugees in the area, and said, We want to help. We want to do something. And so they told us, well, you can welcome this Syrian refugee family. I remember the months of preparation and training before the family arrived. There were 15 or 20 of us, and honestly, we had no idea what we were doing or what to expect. We'd never experienced war in our own backyard. We didn't know what it was like to have to flee for your life, to make tough decisions for your family. Not to mention, none of us spoke Arabic. All we had to offer was a safe place to live and support as this new family learned how to navigate a new culture. I was the point person for the group, so people were looking to me and asking me questions that I did not have the answers to. I was also new to the area, so I was going to be learning right alongside this family. And I remember countless nights of losing sleep because I was so worried. We weren't prepared for this. What have we signed ourselves up for? I worried even though I knew so clearly that we were doing exactly what God was calling us to do. All that changed when we met the family for the first time. We handed them the keys to their apartment and we said, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. In the months that followed, there were plenty of things we could have said or done differently, but in the end, the genuine friendship that we built with this family reminded us that our call was not to be the heroes for them, 
but to be present with them and to love them and to learn with them. The point of this story is that there was a moment where we could have shied away from this calling to welcome this refugee family because it was hard or because we felt there was someone better or more qualified to do it. But we were the right people because we said yes. Because we took that first step of faith into the unknown instead of turning our heads and hoping someone else would figure it out. Someone else would do something. If Isaiah had said no, God would have moved on and asked someone else. But like many people in the Bible, Isaiah was qualified because he was the one who said yes when God asked. He stepped up when it mattered, and he figured out the rest as he went, trusting that God would be with him every step of the way, and that's still true for us. Which brings me to the second thing about this story. God calls us to do difficult things, to be champions of compassion and justice in our community and in our world. Isaiah was not given an easy task. It would require a lot of courage and persistence on his part. He was not going to be the most popular guy in the room anymore. There is no shortage of suffering and injustice in our world right now. And the magnitude of the problems can get overwhelming. Where do we even start? I mean, we're just one person. What could we possibly do to make a difference? We see that we can't fix all of the world's problems, and so we get paralyzed, and then we end up not doing anything at all. And it's tempting to just turn away and pretend it's all not happening and Hope that somebody else is going to step up and do the right thing. But here's the thing. God's answer to the pain and the suffering in this world is sitting right here in this room. It's you and it's me saying yes to God's call. God didn't give Isaiah a broad, all-encompassing call. God gave him a specific message to specific people in a specific place at a specific time. And God does that with us. We can all love our neighbors in ways that go beyond feelings of goodwill. We can all say yes to taking one small step forward even when we're afraid or unprepared or insecure. I know this because I've seen it. I've seen it in the lives of my friends here, in Louisville, in this church, and in my friends in Tennessee and Georgia and all over the country. So if you'll humor me, I'd like to share a few of those stories with you to show you all the ways that God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things when they say yes. The first is a young couple 
who learned about a foster care crisis in their state. Too many children for not enough homes. They were teachers, so they knew firsthand the impact that the unstable foster care system had on the kids. They saw it every day in their classrooms. And they looked around and they thought, well, we have a home. We have an empty bedroom. Guess we're going to be foster parents. And they said yes. And a year later, they welcomed two wonderful children into their home and gave them a stable place in the midst of an unstable situation, a safe place for them to learn and grow and thrive while things got figured out. All because they said yes. These two kids had a life-changing experience. There was a group of women at the church I grew up in that called themselves the wild praying women. I always love this because I just envision like wild praying women. <laughs> they met regularly to pray big prayers and discern what God might be calling them to do in the city. They soon started noticing a pool to women re-entering re society after being incarcerated. These women faced a number of challenges as they tried to get back on their feet, and many of them didn't have the support they needed. So these wild praying women took a step of faith and started a program to help these women find stable employment, affordable housing, regain custody of their children, get sober, get counseling, get whatever it was that they needed to thrive after prison, and start over. This program is now in multiple cities across the state, all because a few women got together and said yes to God. After experiencing several miscarriages and the grief of infertility, my cousin turned her pain into a ministry to women going through the same thing in her city. She started putting together care packages to be given to women experiencing infant loss in the hospital giving them a love that only she could give them because she knew what they were going through. Even after she's left the city, that ministry has grown and continued, all because she said yes to God. Here in Louisville, at our church, a group of people started a ministry for kids with special needs and their families, a group that often feels overlooked by the church. A few retired teachers in the congregation saw that kids in some of our local schools were falling behind, so they designed an after-school program that gives these kids the extra support they need and one-on-one -on -one attention to thrive in school. I recently had lunch with a church member who's passionate about working with the LGBTQ youth in our community. So she started volunteering with local groups that provide resources and safe places for these teens who have been rejected or bullied or are no longer part of their families. She said yes to God. These are just a few of the many, many stories of ordinary people that I could tell you. I'm sure you could tell me some. I had people coming up to me at the last, after the last service saying, have you heard about so-and-so? Have you heard about so-and-so? 
It was amazing to hear all these stories of what people taking one step out in faith could do. I hope these stories show you that God's call it looks different for everyone and that we all have something we can offer, even if it's just our presence and our willing hands. So what about you? What breaks your heart? What gets you fired up? Pay attention to these things. Because as you start to listen and look around, you will realize that God might be calling you to say yes, to do something, to be that holy, loving presence. You don't have to be the most confident or qualified person in the room. You just have to say yes. Step forward in faith, trusting that God will be with you every step along the way.